0: Dave knows me so well that he has to move the cord because I'm a klutz. But thank you for that. Hey, uh, the last couple of times that we've gathered together, we have uh, simply begun by reminding one another of the ways in which God is working. You know, I, I know that right now it, it just feels like every day there's just a new pressure. It just feels like right now there's, there's so much uh, uncertainty, so much, uh, so much going on in our lives that we just don't know. And we want to take a moment each week to remind one another of the ways in which God is working in our midst. You know, the last five or six years, we've talked a lot. And I know in our valley, there's a, there's a huge desire and a, a connection for family. Many of you uh, spent part of your Thanksgiving with family or, or have even come in here this morning uh, with family. And one of the things that we have seen as we looked at God's word is that our biological family is a wonderful thing. And yet, if God has brought you into a relationship with Jesus, he's actually forming an eternal family. One that lasts forever, no matter what happens in this life. And so we've talked over the last five to six years of being, uh, us being this eternal family. Being a kind of people who love and care for one another. And over the last week, I've seen us be that kind of eternal family together. One is through one of our members here, uh, a kind of a longer time member. He was actually here before I got here. Uh, Claire Grove, many of you know that he's been in and out of the hospital. And over the last week or so, has just been uh, trying to recuperate. And it's been interesting to to see some updates uh, from his daughter, Heidi, and and to see others of us just say, hey, we're praying for him. And to see God answer prayers through the care and concern that the church family has over this brother. And the other one is, uh, I'm not sure how your Thanksgivings go, but typically our holidays in in our house uh, are filled with much FaceTime. A lot of calling of relatives all across The country. And this year, as we uh, began to celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, we received a barrage of text messages from our missional community. And in that, we just saw people uh, just uh, messaging each other back and forth saying, Hey, I'm so grateful for you, grateful that God brought you into my life. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Love you guys. I'm glad that we're a family together. And in that moment, my heart was just full just knowing that, that God in his way is bringing together men and women who, let's be honest, some of us would not know each other or ever hang out if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, he's forming us to be that family who cares with one another, who cries with one another, who rejoices with one another, who prays for one another And it's just able to experience the hand of God work. I want to continue to encourage us to be that kind of family together. Let me just pray, praising God that we're becoming that kind of a family. Father, uh, we do thank you that you show us in your word that that biological family is such a blessing. And yet a greater blessing is knowing that we're part of an eternal family. If we believe in you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we might be a church that would form deeper connections, that would be able to love one another, be able to care for one another, be there for one another, like family. And that that might be a beautiful picture to the world around us. And so, Father, as we look at your word this morning, may you remind us through your word that you are forming us to be this kind of community We ask in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians is about 80 to 90% of the way through your Bible. It's after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. And if you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen Behind me, and so you can follow along there. About five and a half to six years ago, we began to make a massive shift here at Sunbury City Church. If you've grown up at all around the church, in the church, I know some of us recently came to faith in Christ, others of us, like the day we were born, we were taken right into the church sanctuary. But if you've been around the church at all, there has been over the last number of decades kind of this field of dreams mentality. Anybody remember that, that movie, Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner, right? You know, what did he say? He said, if we build it, they will come. And for some reason the church has begun or had begun a few decades back to begin this mentality that if we build it, if we have the right Singing, if we have the right pastor, if we have the right programs, then the people in the world around will see and they will want to come in. And sometimes that works, right? Sometimes you might have been to places where, man, they, they just have a rockin' uh, service or, or man, they've got a pastor who's better looking. I mean, how could there be? But they have one that's better looking than me, you know? Uh, and... And so that that works, seemingly. But what we began to realize about five, six years ago is that might work to kind of shuffle Christians around from church to church. But that doesn't work if we want to engage the community, engage those who do not know Jesus and are disconnected from his church and bring them into the family of God. And so we began to make a massive shift where we kind of decentralized things around here. We did that through a couple of categories. If you don't know the way the leadership structure around here works, we believe the Bible says that we should have elders, men who are spiritually qualified based on their character, who then lead the church. And We've got two elders, myself and Chris Bingaman, the the gentleman who tells you where to sit. That's him eldering. He's telling you what to do. No. No, but seriously, we have these two elders who, who honestly, we actually carry the same amount of authority. At any point, Chris says, no, I don't think we should do that. I don't, I don't have the right to just ignore that and, and go on. Because we wanted, we saw in the Bible that, that the shift shouldn't be based on a person, but be based on an office. And then we began to set in motion this idea of membership where people who follow Jesus Christ commit together to be in membership and ultimately if you're a member here there are things that I have to submit to you and that you have say over me say over Chris and then we began to realize that we wanted to deprogram everything in this church as much as we can because as we look at scripture, we, we believe that the Bible says, doesn't give us a program, but rather says that the people of God together are the program. And so we began to make a shift where we started something called missional community. So missional community is a group of people gathered together. They gather typically weekly, they pray together, they read God's word together, they'll eat together, and then they think about an area of our community where they can uh, begin to connect with others and reach out to others so that they might know the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ. And so about five years ago, we started with Two of those, and by God's grace, we began to just get after the Lord and in His Word and get after the Lord in prayer and just really seek what does it look like for us to be this kind of group together. Again, by God's grace, we saw that expand as more people started connecting, and through that, we began to realize that we need to multiply, meaning that we need to raise up other people to lead groups and send people out. To start new groups, and so through that process, Dave uh, Moyer was raised up to to lead a group, and I was released to start a group in my neighborhood. And some of you are here because of that. I know that uh, shortly thereafter, I met Wayne, and in a year later, I met Bill and Miranda, who typically are here. And even in this last year, I met Holly and Keith. And just being able to be in the neighborhood and and connect. And that's been our heart all along is that we want to see multiplication to the point that another group began to grow again. And we had to multiply it again so that there would be space for those who do not know Jesus to be able to come in and hear the truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, even right now, we are in the process of of training uh, someone to take over one of the groups. We're in the process of training Chapin to start a group in Sealands Grove. We're in the process of training Roger and Sherry to start a group up in uh, Lewisburg, Milton area. It's because our heart and what we see all throughout the Bible is that when we come to know Jesus... We saw this last week. When we come to know Jesus, we see and have a hope that we want others to experience. And one of the ways that we do that is by inviting them in to these communities where they can experience the life of Jesus lived out among his people. That's exactly what we're going to see this morning. That as we think about being a church... That is made whole. One of the ways in which we are made whole is by no longer focusing on our mission, but focusing on God's mission. And God's mission has always been to multiply. God's mission has always been that we would take the hope that we have and tell others, and we would form these new communities, and by God's grace, multiply those communities so others might know Jesus Christ. That's what we see here in this church at Philippi, and so in order to see this this morning, in order to fill, fulfill God's mission, we all play a part. And the part that we play is that we have to partner. We have to be a part of the mission of God, and so this morning, in order to see this in our passage, we're uh, the main point that we're going to see is that God's mission moves forward through ministry partners. That the mission of God, for others to come to know Jesus Christ, all of us must play a role. And the role that we have to play is partnering with God and with other followers of Jesus to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at how that partnering takes place. And so with that, let's go ahead and read God's word this morning. And if you are able, would you please stand in honor of God's word? We believe that this is the God of the universe Speaking to you and I, and it is a glorious privilege that we have. Philippians 4, verses 10 to 20. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. My God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So this fall, really the whole year, we have kind of taken this journey looking at uh, how can we be whole. I mean, 2020 has exposed areas in which we feel broken and shattered. And so this fall, we've really zeroed in. How can we be put back together? And as we focus on that, we have seen that ultimately it starts with knowing Jesus Christ. And not just having a relationship with him, but having him transform our entire life. And so a number of years ago, we formed a mission statement. Kind of the clarifying vision of what we believe God is calling us to do as a church. And it is that we exist to glorify God... By making disciples, those are followers of Jesus who love God, live the gospel, embrace our community and plant movements. And this fall we've really kind of walked our way through what does that look like. It looks like we love God continually by praying and reading our Bible. That we love God corporately by coming on Sundays in two groups throughout the week. That we love God convictionally. We know truth about Jesus. And then we live the gospel by, by uh, living it with new identity. And we talked about the fruit that the Holy Spirit should be producing in us. And then we live the gospel by having confession and repentance with one another. And we live it by having Christ-centeredness, especially when it comes to our families. And in the last month or so, we've looked at, at the idea that we are to embrace the community around us with our stuff with the skills that we have been given, and with our seconds, the time that God gives us. And now last week we looked at how that should inevitably push us out to plant seeds where we're telling others of the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ. And now today we're going to look at how when we do that, God is faithful and he will begin to bring people in And that's going to inevitably push us to have to multiply, push us to have to start new groups. And hopefully, as we will see next week, that those groups will then spur into new churches. So this week, we're just going to focus on uh, what does it look like for us to be in these, uh, these new groups and to be partnering, really, in the mission of God. To see new groups started across our valley. Our hope is that that people all across our valley have an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. And so in order to understand really the mission and and our role in the mission, we're going to look at three truths this morning. So let's just go ahead and dive in. And the first truth that we're going to see is partnering in mission. You and I do have a role to partner in the mission of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've laid your cards on the table. and Said, I'm, "I'm following Jesus, no matter what." We have a role to play. Doesn't matter if you're new in the faith. It doesn't matter if you're old in the faith. Doesn't matter if you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're rich. Doesn't matter if we're a small church or a large church. All of us have a role to play in the mission of God, and that's exactly what we see at this church. In this church at Philippi. So Paul is writing here to a church in Philippi, which is in Macedonia, Greece area. And if you look in the book of Acts, in Acts 16, we see the context to this church. Paul is ministering with Silas in western Turkey when he receives this vision from God and he concludes that he is being called to go into Macedonia and take the good news of Jesus Christ there. And so he says, okay, let's go, let's Let's go over into Macedonia and he gets to Philippi and he's on the lookout for anyone that he can share the good news of Jesus with. And he finds these women praying by a river and he tells them about Jesus and Lydia comes to faith. And we begin to see the beginnings of the church at Philippi. And then they keep telling others about Jesus to the point that actually it incites the people against Paul and Silas to the point that they are arrested and thrown in prison. And we read in Acts that they are as they are in prison, they are shackled, and it is midnight, and they are singing praises to Jesus. And in the middle of their singing of their praises, an earthquake happens. Now as that earthquake happens, their shackles break and they are ready and able to break loose and to run away and the Roman guard who is there knows this and knows if they leave, if they run away, his life is literally over. And so in an act of desperation, he grabs a sword and he's ready to kill himself when Paul interjects, oh, s- slow down. He's like, what? Why did you run away? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And his whole family comes to faith in Jesus. And we read that the next morning that the townspeople come, the government officials come, and they usher Paul and Silas out of the city. And they say, hey, please do not come back. But what's interesting in the middle of that, if you just think about who Paul is in this moment, he's become their friend. He is their father in the faith. He is their pastor. And as the government officials say, hey, please leave, notice we don't read anywhere that the people in this church at Philippi are fighting it. Because you see, they have a greater vision in mind. They see that God is doing something far beyond their church And they are going to partake in the mission that God has given to them. And we see them do that here in this chapter. Look with me at verse 10. Verse 10, Paul says that you have revived your faith. He is rejoicing because they revived their concern for him. And then jump down to verses 14, 14 to 16, he says that it's kind of you to share my troubles. And then he goes on to explain that from the moment I set foot into Macedonia, nobody partnered with me. Even when I went to Thessalonica, only you, church at Philippi, only you Philippians partnered with me. And church, this is kind of crazy because if you look at the book of Acts, And you read Paul's timeline of when he was in Thessalonica. He would have been there probably about four weeks. And notice what he says about this church in verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Whoa. Talk about a church that is just open-handed with what they have, who has captured the vision for the mission of God to see others come to know Jesus Christ to the point that they, in a short window, are willing to give money to Paul and then give again. And it's not like they get out their app and, oh, where's Paul? Okay, oh, that's the app. Boom. No, like they've got to collect their money, send it by somebody who then travels by foot to get there. Paul says, you have cared about the mission of God, that you provided my needs once and again. And look back at verse 10. He tells us this again, right? He says that you revived your concern. Well, what does that imply? They had a concern. They provided for Paul. That concern waned and then they revived it. They they did it again. They provided for Paul again. Now think about this. This is a day and age in which people didn't travel a whole lot. I mean, they were starting to travel a bit, but they didn't regularly just hop in the car and drive three hours like I did last week. Right? No, they they would not have known the people in that church that Paul was ministering to. All they would have known is this this man told us about Jesus. He is awesome. He's amazing. And I want the whole world to know about him. And I'm going to give money to this guy so he can take the good news of Jesus elsewhere. Did you know that if you're sitting in here this morning and you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, or you have grown in your faith in Jesus Christ, Or you've been impacted any whatsoever way to love Jesus more because of the ministry of Sunbury City Church. Did you know it's because of men and women all across this country? Men and women in California? Men and women in Minnesota? Men and women in Wisconsin? men and women down in Texas, men and women down in Philadelphia, men and women all across our valley and all across our country who have given up their comfort and have seen the mission of Christ more worthy and have given over a quarter million dollars so you and I can be here and worship Jesus Christ this morning. Do you see how crazy that is? That these people have sacrificed so you and I can be here. They, they have lived out with what, what this church at Philippi is doing. We are the church of Thessalonica, receiving the benefit of it. And notice how Paul talks. He commends it. He says, This is awesome. I'm rejoicing in you. I don't know about you, but I would love on that day in which I see Jesus face to face, him rejoicing. Because we are faithful to partner. We are faithful to join the mission of God. Do you see the news of Jesus Christ as so important that you're willing to partner with others here and take it out to our valley in our community? Do you see the news of Jesus Christ that important that you're willing to sacrifice so others here can take the good news of Jesus Christ? You know, as I said earlier that we're, we're trying to start and pass off a couple of missional communities. We've got, uh, I'm, I'm working with Dave Newberry and trying to uh, pass off the group there. And we've got Chapin, we're trying to raise up and send to Sealands Grove. And Roger and Sherry trying to uh, raise up and send to Lewisburg to, to start groups. Do you see the, the news of Jesus as so important That you're willing to sacrifice, that you're willing to call these brothers up, these sisters up and say, hey, I know it is difficult starting a new work. I know it's difficult reaching your neighborhood. I know it's costly. Do you need anything? Can I buy the meat for your next outreach? Can I buy the buns for your next neighborhood get together? Can can I provide anything that you might need? Do you think about that? If you've ever seen our budget around here, you will recognize that it is bare bones. We do not supply any money. If, if you have been to someone's house for a barbecue, we have not provided any of the funds here for that to happen. You know why? Because it's my hope that we would see Jesus as more worthy and that we would joyfully, out of our own heart's desire... Just give to those things, rather than the church creating something for you to give to. Do you see? Do you see Jesus as that worthy? And then notice in verse 10, Paul doesn't just, I seem to think that Paul doesn't just talk about their financial. He talks about their concern for him. I get a sense that he's talking about them praying They're thinking about Paul. They care for Paul. They're praying for Paul. They're they're loving Paul to the point that they're going before the God of the universe and saying, hey, would you help Paul? Church, do you do that for the leaders here? Do you pray regularly for, for Chris as he elders or, or pray regularly for Dave Moyer as he leads a missional community or for Josh as he leads a missional community or as he leads us in worship or, or for Chapin as he's trying to start, by God's grace, start a new work in Sealands Grove or, or for Dave Newberry as he's uh, growing in leadership and, and going to be taking over a group? Are, are you praying For for Alicia, right now, as she's in the room with your kids, and you know your kids, right? Are you praying for her right now? Are you praying for me? Paul says in Ephesians 6, he's talking about the spiritual war that we're in. And he says in Ephesians 6, as he writes to this church at Ephesus, he says, hey, pray. Pray that I would have boldness. To open my mouth to declare the mystery of Jesus Christ. Do you get what, like the dude wrote half of the New Testament and he's saying, could you guys who I'm writing to fix problems, would you pray for me? Man, if that dude needed prayer, I needed a lot of prayer. And some of you spend more time with me and you know that I need a lot of prayer. Do You pray for us. You see, for us to partner in seeing people reached with the good news of Jesus and seeing new groups formed so that people can come and hear the truth of Jesus, we need all of us to partner not just in giving financially but also in praying for each other. What a glorious morning it would be to tell a God story of some of you calling each other up and saying, hey, how can I pray for you? I know that that's coming up in your group. Can I be praying for you? be awesome but what benefit is this to us like why should you and I do this well that's what Paul leads us to next he leads us to the payment for mission let's look at our second point and that is the payment for mission the benefit that you and I receive from partnering in this way look at verses 17 to 18 Paul says not that I seek the gift Hey, there's no shame, there's no guilt, I'm not trying to guilt trip you, Uh uh-uh. I don't seek the gift, I'm grateful for it, but I I don't seek it. But notice what he does seek. He seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. It's almost as if Paul is channeling Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33. There we read that Jesus says, uh, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, Seek first God and what he's about, and then from there, everything else that you're worried about will be taken care of. And Paul is saying here in Philippians 4 I am seeking that increase to your credit. Don't store up treasure on earth. Store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Let's be honest for a second. Just think about your house right now. Kind of go through each room. All of those little knickknacks that you put out, that you love, that, that, the cherished heirlooms. Where are they going to be 20 years from now? 50 years from now? Maybe you bought it at Dave's store, so 200 years from now. Where are they going to be? In a junkyard. Paul's saying, don't set your hope on those things. Set your hope in heaven. It'll be to your credit. And as you do, notice the blessing that happens in verse 18. Paul says, I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied how? Because they sent Epaphroditus with a gift to Paul. And notice how Paul describes this gift. It's a fragrant offering. So in the Old Testament, the first part of your Bible, they would offer sa- animal sacrifices as a way to cover the sins of the people. And in order for it to smell good to the Lord, they would actually put fragrant fragrance on it so that as they burned it, the aroma and the smoke would go upward to God and it would be pleasing to God. And Paul says, when you are thinking about others, when you are thinking about the mission of God, and when you are partnering with each other here in the church to to bring others to know the hope of Jesus Christ, it is a fragrant offering to the Lord. Have you ever been around somebody who is just incredibly generous I reminded of a friend of mine that every time I go back to California, there are two friends, and this one in particular, I just long to see. A friend of mine from college, his name is Mark. And I remember when we were in college, we would regularly go out to lunch or go out to dinner. And he he's kind of a, a nonchalant guy. You wouldn't suspect him. He's not touting it. He's not taking a selfie and putting it on any social media out there. But regularly when we would go out to eat. He would just say, oh, I'm going to take care of it. I'll pay for it. Even to the point, even to the point that we had about a group of, uh, about 20 of us uh, out to dinner one night for someone's birthday. And, and at that time, I mean, college students, sometimes we still do it today, right? We, we got to divide up the bill down to the late, last penny, And we're all chipping in down to last penny and people forget about tax, they forget about tip, and and we're about $20 short. I remember just kind of quietly sneaking over to Mark and saying, hey, Mark, can we just split the last little bit? Yeah, don't worry about it, man. Just take care of it. Just put it on my card. No one knew. To this day, none of my friends know, outside of him and I. And to this day, 12 years later, every time I go back to California, I want to see Mark because he is one of the most generous people I have ever met, and he is a joy to be around. Church, that's what that's what Paul is saying here, that when we are this kind of generous, when we are this kind of, have this kind of generosity, it is a fragrant offering. It is, sacri- it is a sacrifice that's acceptable and it's pleasing to God. Who wants to be pleasing to God in here? I hope it's all of us, right? And Paul's saying that's what happens when we put ourselves, when we focus ourselves on the mission of God and not our own mission. So I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us to be the kind of people that as we, as we see these new groups forming, I want to challenge us to be the kind of people that reach out to them. Even the older groups, reach out to them. How can we be praying for your group? How, any, anything you need. Anything you guys need in order to do your group well so others would know Jesus. I would love for us to be that kind of church. Now, I would love for us to be the kind of people that grow in our faith to the point that we actually can be sent out or we can help those who are sent out to start a new group. To start a group where someone who doesn't know Jesus could come in and see the truth of Jesus Christ more closely. But how do we move in this direction? How do we actually position ourselves to move there? Let's look lastly at the power for mission. The power for mission. If we're honest, this passage is more about missionaries, men and women who who pick up their lives and move all the way around the world. And yet, as we're going to see next week, all of us have a role in that to play. And we're going to see that even today. So how do we have the power to do this? Well, Paul shows us, look at verses 11 to 13. Verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low. Paul says, doesn't matter what's going on, even in the worst possible place, I have learned to be content. I can be joyful. Church, think about this. He is writing this from prison. We already said earlier that in Roman prisons, they would shackle them up. So I'm not sure how the writing's going on. Maybe they released him, or maybe he's telling it to somebody else. But we also read at the end of 2 Timothy that it's cold in prison because Paul says, hey, Timothy, when you come, bring my cloak. At the end of Acts 28, we see that Paul is on house arrest. So he's moved from prison to house arrest, and the only way he's able to eat is is that he has provided financially or or others have provided financially for him. So this is not SCI, Cold Township, or or Allenwood, where you get a TV and, and maybe get a pizza or whatever it is. This is just you by yourself in the lowest possible position imaginable. And I wonder how would you respond in that situation? Because we read in Philippians chapter 1 that Paul says, guess what? They put me in prison and I've told all the guards about Jesus Christ. They wanted to shut my mouth so they locked me in a dungeon. And guess what? You have to pay someone to watch me so I get an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Wow, how does does he have that? Like how, how in the world does he have the power to do that? He says he's learned to be content in all things. Now, what's worse than being content in the lowest possible position ever? As if you know what it's like to be in the best possible position ever, right? So if you grow up and you never have anything and then you continue to not have anything, you don't know anything else, right? But if you knew a day in which you had a lot, you had plenty, that would be difficult to have nothing. And yet that's exactly what Paul says. He says, I have have contentment. I've learned to be brought low and I've learned to abound. I've learned in any and everything, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He knows both ends of the spectrum. And and how is it for you when you abound? How do you typically respond? Most of us kind of puff up our chests. Oh, look at what I've done. the, The amazing deals I've done. The amazing work I've done. The great way of saving money. Look at how awesome I am. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you give me a lot, I'm content. If you take everything away, I'm content. So How? Notice what he says in verse 13. And I know you've heard this. He's not talking about bench pressing 300 pounds. He's not talking about belting a bunch of home runs. Not talking about any of that. Notice what he says, though. He says, in every circumstance, in all things, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me, Paul is saying the way in which I can be content, the way in which I have power to, to go and to keep pressing on telling others about Jesus is because I have been strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ. And then he tells us how this power happens in verses 19 and 20. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours he's saying i am strengthened because i know that i have a god who can supply all needs it does not matter what i have it matters that i have god it matters that i have jesus christ so he doesn't care what they've taken from him he cares what he still has and that's jesus He says because of that, he knows God will supply every need of theirs because he's experienced it. And how does he know that? He says it's according to the riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. Church, if you flip over a couple pages to your left to chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we read that Jesus is eternal that Jesus was in the heavens with the Father for all of eternity, and yet he did not count equality with God something to be held onto, to be grasped for dear life. Instead, he took the form of a servant. That first Advent, that first Christmas, he took human flesh and he became obedient and served the Father even to the point of death, death death. On a cross, church, Jesus Christ gave up all things so you and I can have a relationship with the Father if we trust in Jesus' death for our sin and his resurrection from the grave. And then Paul says that he didn't just rise from the grave, but he was elevated and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that someday... When he returns, every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, and every knee in hell below will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How does he know? How does he have power to be able to put aside his own comforts, his own desires, and say, I'm pushing myself into prayer. I'm pushing myself into giving so that others might know Jesus. How does he know that? Because he sees the exalted reigning Jesus Christ. And he sees all of the glory that Jesus has now and will forever have. And he says, that God is supplying you. That God is supplying you. That God is supplying every single need of his children when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do you desire to be a part of the mission of God? Have you experienced Jesus changing your life? Hope in the midst of a hopeless world? direction in the midst of a directionless world, My hope is that the overflow of a heart that has experienced Jesus desires for others to experience Jesus as well. And my hope is that we, that if you are not in a missional community, you will talk with me after and get plugged in. And if you are, you will have a mentality of always having an open seat for the neighbor, the friend, the family member that we can invite to the table and say, let me tell you about the hope I My hope is that for those of us who have regularly been a part of these missional communities would say, you know what, I feel like I'm skillless. I feel like I don't have any money, but I've got my life. Pastor Derek, would you train me? Would you help me so I can be used in the mission of God, whether that's to go and start a new Community, so that others might know about Jesus, or that means going with somebody to start a new community, so that others would know about Jesus. That's my hope, Church. That we would be a people broken over what we see out there. Think. Think about the difficulty this week has been. Our Thanksgiving plans were changed. We receive new restrictions. There's much anxiety going on. There's much struggle. And that's for people, for many of us in this room, who would say that we follow Jesus Christ, and we're experiencing that. How much more for those who do not know Jesus, who have no hope, what they are experiencing. I plea is that our heart breaks, that we are, we are a people that get serious about seeing others know Jesus and seeing new communities started, new missional communities started, so that others might know and experience the hope that we have. Now's our time. It's not our time to retreat. It's our time to press in. Jesus is giving us, many of us think that Jesus is retreating because of what we're seeing, no, Jesus is providing us an opportunity to engage and bring hope to a world that recognizes everything they've hoped in, even the election will not pan out the way they that they had thought. So will you join Jesus in His mission? Experience the blessing, and the power, and the joy. I hope so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for just the challenge. Father, this ancient church that we don't know of anybody other than Lydia, a Philippian jailer, who don't even know his name. And yet the example that they were and that they continue to be for 2,000 years to the church around the world to say no to their own desire, no to their own mission in life, and to join the mission of God. I pray that you would elevate our thoughts, elevate our desires, elevate our hearts, that we would be a part of the mission that you've laid out from the beginning of time, the mission of praising you, of experiencing you, and that we would be a people willing to give, willing to pray, willing to go so that others would experience hope in you, Jesus, we pray. We ask these things in your son's name, amen.